0: Since going to give you the option to pick your own hymn. I'm going to give you the option to pick your own verses for me to preach. How about that? <laughs> Which verse do you want me to preach on today? Come on, shout it out. I I can, like you. You a, what? I Any like other? <laughs> what? Only one verse, what? I please. I please. Oh! I hear John chapter 1, 1 to 18, right? <laughs> That's what they've been doing, really. You thought you had a choice, but it was an illusion of choice. They already had picked a, a small set of songs, and they had the music ready, and they gave you the option, irrespective of what you said, Duane said, 156, right? Because I was ready there, right? So. Believe me, they are sneaky. They have been doing this for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) you've been with us for the last few weeks. We were exploring the origin story of Jesus. You know the origin stories in Hollywood? You know, there was a even now, it's a big time for superheroes. I hope one day they will make a real movie, but the last four few years, it's all superhero movies. Now, they milked all of it out. Now, they are going back to the origin of the superheroes. Now, that makes us curious. Where are these superheroes coming from, right? whether they are bitten by a spider, or whether they emerge out of a cave, or whether they are coming out of another planet. And the origin, where do these superheroes actually come from? Obviously, Jesus is the superhero of the Bible. And his origin story is quite spectacular, actually there are four different movies, well, four different stories, four different gospels are kind of like four different movies of Jesus's life. Now, the biblical scholars are quite certain that the first gospel was, the first written gospel was Mark's gospel, even though it is second in the order. You know, there are four stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, right? Four different gospels. And the scholars believe that Mark's gospel was the earliest gospel. So when you open Mark, Mark starts with this preacher, John the Baptist, and then suddenly comes Jesus to get baptized by John. And then he starts preaching, then he starts healing. It just goes very quick from one scene to another scene to another scene. We have no idea where Jesus comes from. Mark is not interested in Jesus' birth or his childhood, nothing. Because for Mark, Jesus is a man of action, real superhero. He just came out of nowhere and started ministering. Then came the story written by Matthew. Matthew is interested, where is this guy coming coming from? So Matthew tried to track the genealogy of Jesus, and that's why we have the most boring opening (laughs) for the New Testament, because Matthew was tracking the origin story of Jesus. Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob and after 42 begetting we finally get Jesus right so Matthew taught the origin of Jesus to Abraham because Abraham is a big name for Jewish people and Matthew was a Jew and Matthew was writing specifically to the Jewish audience so Abraham Jesus comes from Abraham then came Luke Luke said there were people before Abraham, you know, because Luke was not a Jew. He was the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. He said, No, 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 not just Abraham. I'm going to track, I'm going to go even before. And Luke's genealogy in Luke chapter 3, if you can read, he tracked it all the way to Adam. From Adam, the first man. Adam, to Seth, to Enos, to all the stack finally, to Jesus. Because Luke was particularly interested in the universality of Jesus. And he tracked the origin story all the way to the Garden of Eden. Then came John. John's was the last gospel. He said, wait a minute. That's not the true origin story of Jesus. Jesus was there before the beginning. He was not a created being. He was the creator. He was the divine logos that existed before the time began. The beginning of this superhero was before the beginning. So today, We are going to close that series before the beginning. And even though I'm going to speak only from the last verse, and I wanted us to hear the whole passage we have been journeying for the last four weeks John chapter 1, 1 to 18. And I'm going to invite my friend Michael Lazar, who is a professional Hollywood actor. To come and read the scripture for me because he has such a professional voice. I always envy the Hollywood people; they have good look and good uh, voice, which I crave to have. So, Michael, would you come and open, uh, read the scripture for us today? Would you stand with us for the reading of?
1: Don't expect Phil. Phil, hear your, your voices. <laughs> Um, Merry Christmas, everyone. My name is Michael, and I'll be uh, reading the Scripture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Thank you, Michael. No one has seen God at any time, but we have all been looking haven't we the world has been looking for God to see God even people who don't believe in the existence of God are looking because as Blaise Pascal famously said there is a God-shaped all in all of us and there's this quest to see God to feel God to touch God to experience God is there in all of us so we looked outside the humanity has been looking for God they looked up to the heaven and see where is God And they saw kind of God because the Bible says, Psalms 19.1, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. You look at the big blue sky and the floating cloud and the magical sunrise and the magical sunset and you kind of, feel God in the nature. God reveals himself partially in the nature. And that's why a lot of new age people, particularly in Hollywood, they say the universe is speaking to us. I hear this all the time and it gives me a chuckle. The universe is speaking, and Oprah Winfrey quite often say that the universe is speaking it's like you, you look at that speaker and saying that, oh, the speaker is speaking to me. No, the speaker is not speaking to you. I am speaking to you. I am speaking to you through the speaker. The universe is not speaking to you. The universe cannot speak. God is speaking to you through the universe. Get it in your head. This is very simple. So they looked outside. They had some glimpse of what God is, but it failed to give the full revelation of God. Then they looked inside. Oh, spirituality, contemplation. Let's see what God is doing inside. Yes, God is doing something inside too, right? We have something called conscience, which kind of witnesses God's action God's existence to us again I read from Romans chapter 2 verse 15 they show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them we all have something called a conscience that bothers us even if they, we don't believe in a God even if we don't believe in the existence of a law from God we know that it is written it is written in our conscience we do something bad even though we don't nobody has seen it we feel we call guilty conscience And when we declare that, when we admit that, we say that, oh, my conscience is now clear. Because God has implanted that, unless you are a sociopath, you know, implanted that in every human being so that that will become a witness of him in our heart, in our life and the law of God written inside us but that again is more of an existence of like some kind of a witness of the existence of God but we still cannot feel God right we still cannot touch God see this is the problem with religion religion is all about trying to search and find God See, God is not someone you can search and find. If God is someone you can search and find, then he is inferior to you. Because God is, by definition, is outside your reach. That's why we call him God. God is not someone who can just search and find. God has to reveal himself to you. See, that's why the biblical theology is something called a revealed theology. The Bible is, we call, a revelation from God. God said, oh, I know you're tired looking outside, or you are looking inside, so let me do something. I am going to reveal my will to you. And then he gave us the scripture. And the Bible says again, Second Timothy, chapter three, verse sixteen: All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God-breathed, theopneustos, God's breath is in every word of the scripture and that makes it alive. Now that comes from God and that reveals to you the mind of God. One of the most beautiful things that I enjoy in my life is that I get this random email sometime from strangers in different parts of the world, not often but very (laughs) once in a while who have read my book and these are people I've never met. I will probably never meet from countries like Singapore or Germany. I've never been. I don't know if I ever will be. But, but somehow they read the book and they communicate through email about what they thought about it and all that kind of stuff. And there is some kind of kinship I feel with them. Because when you read my word, <laughs> It is an expression of my mind. And I have a special bond with these people I have never met because they kinda resonate with my mind. It's a special feeling between an author and a reader. They have a pulse. They they, they sense the pulse of my heart. And they get the frequency of my mind. There is a special connection because that's a revelation. My book is a revelation of my mind. Now God loves all of us. God loves you particularly when you're a praying person, you go to church, you put money in the basket, all of this is wonderful. But God, I'm sure, has a special connection with the people who read this book. People who explore this book, people who study this book, people who obey this book, because this is an expression of his mind. And as an author of the book, God is particularly pleased when you go through this, trying to understand his mind. But then again. You only know the mind of God. How do we really see him? How do we really touch him? How do we really experience him? Now that is the mystery of Christmas. That verse says, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten son who was in the bosom of his father Revealed Himself, the uh, Jesus Christ is the ultimate self-disclosure of God. That's the theological word we use. Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation of God. The begotten Son in the bosom of His Father came and revealed what God is like. Now we always wondered. I'm sure you always wondered. You never had the guts to ask this question we keep calling Jesus God and God Jesus is God in human flesh but then we also call Jesus the son of God what's the deal with that what's up with that how can there is a father God (laughs) and then there is a son God and then uh, I mean, what, how can that Son God be the revelation of the Father God? You know, you know, don't these thoughts kind of cross your mind? Or is it me? I'm the only heretic in this room? <laughs> so, I want to explain to you what the term the begotten Son means. So I'll show you a picture. I hope it'll come up on the screen. Okay, now that's the coin which, which was being coined, you know, what do you call the, you know, the coin? Yeah. <laughs> uh, used at the time of Jesus, when Jesus used to carry this kind of Jesus or his secretary, Judas, used to carry these coins in their wallet. Now, this is by the, what is written there is this is, this is the coin printed by Augustus Caesar. You remember the emperor who declared the census at the time of Jesus, right? So that's the picture of him. And what is written there in Latin is Divi Filius. Divi Filius in Latin. It really means the son of God. The son of God. The reason being... At the time of Jesus, particularly the emperors or Roman emperors, starting from Octavian Augustus or Augustus Caesar as history would call him, they adopted the name the Son of God. Not because he didn't have a father and a mother, everybody knew his father was or mother was, but the the term "son of God" really meant, in that context, somebody who shares the same attribute of God. Octavian Augustus was just like Zeus, the Roman, the god of their time. So it was an expression to say that he had the same characteristic attributes of God. It didn't mean that he was birth by God it is like the phrase we use you know when we call somebody um, you know son of a gun or something like that right what that really means that this person has the characteristics of a, of a gun it doesn't mean that he was birthed by a gun right his dad and mom are guns that's not what we mean This person is volatile, this person is temperamental, he is ready, very combative. That's what we mean when we say he is the son of a gun, right? Because he shares the same characteristic, he is the reflection. Of that, So when we call Jesus the son of God, particularly in that context, that really means is that God, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God in this human realm. That is what it means. It doesn't mean that Father God one day decided to marry somebody and to birth a little baby in the manger and that's not what happened. The baby in the manger was the reflection of God. He was not created. He existed before the beginning. In the beginning was Logos. The Logos was with God and the Logos was God and that Logos has manifested in human flesh, and we saw his glory as the begotten Son of God, and he is Jesus the Christ. <laughs> there is always a difference between the begotten. We always say that's a, that's like a very good Christian word, the begotten. What that means is that. So C.S. Lewis puts it very clearly. C.S. Lewis said this, the difference, what does that mean? Begotten son. To beget is to become the father of. To create is to make. And the difference is this. When you beget, you beget something of the same kind as yourself. What God begets is God, just as what man begets is man. What God creates is not God, just as what man makes is not man. Okay, this is what he means. See, when you create something, say when I write a book or somebody makes a movie, we often describe it as my baby, right? That's my baby. (laughs) That book is my baby because I created that. I have sentimental connection with that. But that's not really my baby, that's, that, that's a book, right? But then I have two other babies, Hannah and Emma. Now they were not created by me, they were begotten by me. I also call them my babies. I have a number of books here I call my babies. And then here I have my two daughters, I call them my babies. Now, they are begotten children, and they share my attribute, they share my characteristics. Now, that is the difference between the created child of God and the begotten son of God. What God begets is God, not anything else. So, Jesus is the begotten son, the image of the invisible God, the divine logos manifested in this world, no one has seen God at any time until today, until today. And this is your opportunity to see God. (laughs) This is your opportunity to touch God. This is your opportunity to experience God. That is the beauty of Christmas. God coming in human flesh because he wanted to enter into a meaningful relationship with you. Mark Twain, America's favorite author, said this once. He said there are two most important days in your life two most important days in your life. First one is the day you are born, and the second one the day you find out why. First the day you are born, and the second you find out why. That is the core of the quest for meaning. If you haven't figured out why you are born in this planet Earth, my friend, I have news for you. This meaningless life is going to push you to disaster inch by inch. Each thing you accumulate on the way, all the fancy toys you accumulate on the way, all the money you collect on the bank, you think it will give you some semblance of meaning, but at the end, it will leave you empty and void. That's why in this most glamorous town of Hollywood, have the most people affected by depression, suicide, because at the end of the day, Unless you relate with the divine logos, logos means meaning, and this is my first sermon, you can go back and listen. The divine logos who existed from the beginning, the person who himself was meaning, came down to this world to enter into a relationship with you. I wish you would say yes to him. It is not an it. Logos is not the it, it is not somebody who is out there, it is not somebody who is beyond us, it is not somebody who is kind of lurking inside you, it's a God who is with us, so that you can touch him, you can feel him, and you can experience him, nobody has seen God, but today is your chance to see him. As I'm closing, and I'm so encouraged to see what's happening in our church, particularly in the invasion of the divine logos I see. Every aspect of the church, particularly last night, it, I was crying literally. I hardly see our sanctuary filling to capacity like we had last night. It was a tremendous. There is, a, there is an invasion of the Divine Logos. That's all I can say. And people who are embarking and being empowered by that. I want to introduce you, to you a group of our young adults who are on a journey to Urbana, one of the largest conferences. Not just the mission conference. It's one of the largest conferences in America. Um, can, can I, I mean, not all of them are here, but Pastor Beth Pass is leading them would you come back, and anybody else, Nick, are you there? Oh, okay, there are a couple of them here, but there's a group of them going. I'm so grateful, particularly for Beth, as you can see. She is a woman of many talents. <laughs> like you saw her playing violin. <laughs> and uh, as you know, she's a very eloquent preacher, not, not just a preacher, she was a speaker at Urbana. Now, that's a big deal. Right, You are a speaker at Urbana. So I'm glad people like that driven into our community and people like her are leading our community to the next phase, to the next season in our church, in our ministry. I am so very grateful. Now, as they leave, and we are going to send them off with a prayer. And it is for, the, for, for a week, and you guys will be back the first week of January, right? Okay. Let's say a prayer for them. Would you, would you stretch your hands towards them, and these are the future, there are some more of them, uh, but today is 25th, so you know they are somewhere, and they are doing a Christmas community meal today too, right, fantastic. Let's say a prayer. Father God, be a glad that our future is safe in your hand. <laughs> No ministry council or senior pastor can control the future. But the one who was there from before the beginning is going to be with us even after the end. Thank you for the fact that you have held, you, you are holding. Our church 's future, and we thank you for Beth and the rest of the team as they're traveling, we pray for their mercies and we pray not only that they will experience a touch from you but also that they will influence the people around them and they will make you proud and they will and, and they will be used as a mighty instrument and channel of your grace in that community and we thank you for the Ministry of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and the whole, the, everybody who's going to attend that conference and pray that that will be an outpouring of the new season of revival you are sending not just to our church but to our country and to our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.